Today is the first Sunday of Advent. The word Advent means arrival or coming. Uh, The word Advent means coming or arrival. And Advent really means that Christ has come. Amen? And that we celebrate his presence in the world today. But Advent also points us to the fact that not only has Jesus Christ come, but he's coming again. And I want you to let that sink in a little bit. He will come again in power. And so really the focus of the Christmas season is celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ in his first advent, but also the return of Christ in what is called then his second advent. And I think one of the challenges of any Christian church and during Christmas time as we enter the season is really to keep our focus on the real meaning of the season. In order to do that, this ne- the next four Sundays, uh, December 3rd today, uh, next week the 10th, 17th, and 24th, I'll be preaching a series called Tis the Season, looking at then the Advent themes, Advent topics, Tis the Season today for hope, next week Tis the Season for peace, week three Tis the Season for joy, and then love on the 24th of December. And so this morning's message is Tis the Season for hope. Tis the season for hope. Historically, Advent has been a time for Christians to reflect on the meaning of the coming of Christ. As we heard from our Advent reading this morning, just a few minutes ago, the first Advent candle then reminds us that the hope of the hope that God gave his people when God promised to deliver to them and to send them, I should say, a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, a promise that was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And it really invites you and I to look forward in hope to the day of Christ's second coming, his second advent, when all the promises that were initially fulfilled at his birth will be completely fulfilled at his return. Now, if you do a study on the word hope in the Old Testament, the Old Testament word for hope means to look for something with eager expectation, expectation to rely on something reliable to trust. Once again, to look for something with eager expectation to rely on or to, uh, to rely on something reliable or to trust. In the New Testament, the words used for hope means to trust, to endure, or to expect, or to await. And then the last part of that is to look forward, and I like this part, to look forward with pleasurable confidence and expectation. I posted on my wife's Facebook page about, about two months ago, Earth is preparing for a war while heaven is preparing for a wedding think about that and that is there's a lot of truth to that and in spite of what's going on in this crazy messed up sin sick world tis the season for hope because honestly this is not our home you hear me say that often but I believe it with all my heart. We're just passing through, all right? Heaven awaits us, all right? And so today being December the 3rd, in 22 days on December 25, the world honors the Bethlehem birthday of Jesus Christ. Now, when it actually occurred on our calendar year is debatable, uh, but we celebrate and have since, I'm aware, since uh, on December 25, uh, the Old Testament, interesting enough, carries numerous 
prophetic scriptures regarding the birth of Jesus Christ. And each succeeding prophecy made the possibility of the birth of Christ with all of its attendant details exponentially more difficult to fulfill. Well, all these prophecies, they were so numerous and explicit that the chances of all their coming true could not be coincidence. Someone has fed all this prophetic information into a computer and has come up with this startling conclusion. The odds of all the Old Testament prophecies regarding the birth of Jesus Christ coming true were one in 87 followed by 93 zeros. That's a pretty big number. I can't even say it. All right. But here's the clincher. For every prophecy in the Old Testament regarding Christ's first coming, there are two scriptural prophecies that promise Jesus is coming again. First coming, one in 87, followed by 93 zeros. Now, the big number but it's twice as good for his second advent, all right? The teaching of the return of Christ is dealt with 1,845 times in the Bible, 318 of them in the Old Testament. The coming of Christ is the dominant theme of 17 Old Testament books and one epistle in the New Testament. Church, no one can simply ignore that volume of Scripture. We're not talking about two or three isolated scriptures taken out of context. We are dealing with fully one-fourth of all scripture. That's why I'm saying today, no other scriptural, spiritual theme, biblical theme, other than redemption is covered so thoroughly in our Bibles than the advent of Jesus Christ, his first coming and his second coming. Yes, I am convinced today that Jesus Christ will return again because the prophetic word of God guarantees it's going to happen. I don't care what the naysayers say. I don't care what the news media might tell you. I don't care what other churches might say or not say or whatever. I am simply saying, church, we live in a day of hope, even though the world is in despair. Amen? In other words, I have, using my language, trustful expectation particularly with reference to the fulfillment of God's promises. I am anticipating a favorable outcome under God's guidance. I have confidence that what God has done for you and me in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. Therefore, tis the season for hope. Amen? I have hope that Jesus is coming back for a hopeful, not a helpless church. He's coming back for a bride that's victorious and not victimized. He's coming back for a glorious, powerful church, not a fearful, timid church. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, a church full of the Holy Ghost, a church on fire for Jesus Christ, a church that knows in whom they believed. Amen? A hopeful church. Therefore... Before I turn to our text this morning, before I preach today, ours is not a message of gloom and doom, but of hope 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. That all being said, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2, 11 through 14. <clears throat> For the grace of God, everybody say the grace of God. Grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace has appeared to all men in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who John says, was full of grace and full of truth. And so for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, it being God's grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to, re to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, Paul, writing to Titus, says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. To me, this is a great Christmas text, even though it says nothing about angels, it says nothing about shepherds in the field watching their sheep at night, it says nothing about Mary or Joseph and their long journey to the little town of Bethlehem, it doesn't mention a little baby being born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. It doesn't mention the wise men who come bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says nothing about the wrath of Herod, the flight into Egypt, or the return to Nazareth. None of those things are mentioned here in Titus chapter 2. None of these things are mentioned in the context of this scripture. And yet, I think in that one little sentence, Sentence, the Apostle Paul captured the essence of Christmas when he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That is the message of Christmas. In a darkened world, dark because of wickedness, dark because of sin, God sends the light of his love expressed in a baby born to a virgin, laid in a manger in Bethlehem. It's that grace that teaches us to live for God. It's that grace that teaches you and me that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, a people that belongs to him. It is that grace that causes us to look forward to what the apostle Paul calls the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, what am I trying to say? I'm just simply trying to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ came once and he's coming back again for a glorious church. Tis the season for hope, not despair. Now, when I think of hope, I think it's entirely appropriate that Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world, came as a baby. Why? Because babies are hope personified. They are pure potential. Their lives are all in the future. I don't think there's a mom or a dad here this morning 
or a new grandpa and grandma here this morning that have not looked into the face of their newborn baby or grandbaby and wondered, what will this child accomplish? What will he or she become? Will this baby become a doctor, perhaps saving lives, or a lawyer pursuing justice, or an engineer, or a painter, or a ballerina, or an astronaut, maybe a college professor, maybe an athlete, maybe a musician, or a research scientist, or a police officer, or a missionary, or a pastor. You see, what I'm saying is anything is possible, and, and, and basically parents and grandparents see that for their newer born grandchild or child. Babies have great hope, great potential. And no doubt, think about Mary in this instance. Mary had even more than the usual maternal pride to justify having great hope for her son. You'll recall the previous year, she had been visited by an angel, Gabriel, who gave her this promise from Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33. Mary, you're going to be with child and you're going to give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And Gabriel tells Mary, and he will be great. Imagine an angel coming to you saying, hey, you're going to be with child, you're going to be pregnant, but you're not going to be sleeping with a man because it's the Holy Ghost and, and this and that. And by the way, he's going to be great. I mean, what would that do for you? As a, as a younger teenage girl, you know, not having had kids before, this would be quite the shock, but then to be told by Gabriel himself that he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow, imagine receiving that news from an angel. Well, the promise to Mary echoed the prophecy of Isaiah given seven centuries earlier where Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Thank God there's coming a day where I can look forward to trusting in government once again. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we have that prophecy in the background as well that they were familiar with. Not only that, but Joseph, Mary's husband, also received a promise. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. In other words, when Jesus was born, God made it clear that this baby was the one for whom the world had been waiting and watching and hoping ever since the first man and woman had been driven out of Eden, out of Eden the Garden of Eden. A savior, a deliverer, a king, the one born king of the Jews. We even see this hope 
in Simeon and Anna the prophetess in the Christmas story. I mean, what joy must have filled Joseph and Mary's hearts as they looked down on their tiny son, as they stared into his eyes, wrapped in blankets, lying in an ordinary manger, filled with straw, surrounded by livestock, maybe some cows, maybe some sheep or donkeys. I mean, what hope in knowing that this child was the one in whom all God's promises would be fulfilled, knowing that it was he who was the one in whom God's people could ultimately find forgiveness of sins, the one in whom they would find true and lasting peace, the one whose power would establish an eternal kingdom of justice and righteousness. Church, it must have been almost overwhelming for them as they considered this awesome responsibility that God had given them. For he would be the superior one according to the book of Hebrews. Superior to the prophets and superior to the angels, superior to Moses, the one they looked up to, superior to Joshua, superior in qualifications, superior in ministry, superior in character. I mean, his sacrifice would be once and for all. I mean, through Christ, the writer of Hebrews tells us we have a better, everlasting, more enduring covenant. I mention all this because it highlights the fact that Christianity is truly all about hope. Hope. And Christmas is about hope. It has been said the only things worse than insanity are despair and hopelessness. But praise God, we serve a God of hope. That's why we must hold on to our confession of Christ until the very end. What am I saying? I'm saying Christmas is about hope. Hope. And hope is a powerful force. Romans 5.2 says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 8.24, For in this hope we are saved. 1 Timothy 1.1, Christ Jesus our hope. Hebrews 6.11, make your hope sure. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You see, according to God's word, the Bible, we serve a God of hope. We have a blessed hope. Christ Jesus is our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans 15, 13, they're one of my favorite scriptures. It says, may the God of hope, God's a God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow, literally abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you may what? Abound in hope. Which means not only may you have enough hope for today, but you're going to have more than enough. Matter of fact, you're going to have so much hope, you're going to have enough to spare. That's what it's talking about, abounding in hope. A supply that is overflowing, a supply that is excessive, a supply of hope from God, being a God of hope that is simply beyond measure. Church, that's the God we serve. What am I saying? I'm saying God is excessive and God is extreme, and God is extravagant when it comes to his love, his grace, his mercy, and giving his people hope. 
Why? Because God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. We are not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors. We have a more than enough God, and He's ready to flood your soul and my soul with overflowing hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so the question for you and I to consider today is simply this. How do, you, how do, we, how do we hold on to hope during times when, when things seem hopeless, when things are, are difficult, when we're going through trying difficult times, trying difficult circumstances? As I said, you and I today, we are living in a messed up world. So how do we maintain this attitude of biblical hope when everything in us wants to yield to despair? Because we've all faced situations when there seems to be little objective reason for hope. Maybe in your job, maybe in your marriage, maybe in relationships with family members. Some of us have faced seemingly hopeless medical or financial problems. We talked about last Wednesday in our Bible study, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, tried many physicians, spent all she had, had very little hope, but she knew where to go. If I can just, she hoped, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And she did, and she was. Your daughter, your faith, Jesus said, has healed you. And so we face those issues. We face those problems. You might be facing those today. And so we ask ourselves once again, how can we hold on to hope during those times when our circumstances seem hopeless? Here's a very basic thing that you and I need to do. We need to do it almost on a daily basis. We need to remind ourselves that we belong to God. That God is a God of hope. Remind yourself that this world is just temporary. We don't belong here. We're just passing through. As the Bible says, we're strangers. And as the old joke goes, some of you are stranger than others. Just, Just telling you. Just telling you. But the principle, hey, I belong to God. Now that may, might seem obvious to you, but, but all too often, isn't it true that we're willing to seek help from anyone and anything before we return to God? It's almost as if God becomes the appeal of last resort. We'll try everything else, and if nothing else works, well then maybe we'll call out to God. You know, after we've exhausted every other option, then we'll go to Him. For example, if the problem is financial... We don't look to God first. We look to our bank account, and that says, hey, bank account's not going to do it. You better turn to your charge cards, you know. You, you might want to charge some things here. You might want to call your, your, your rich uncle or your rich cousin, my rich cousins, or, or whoever it might be. Uh, we, we rack our brains trying to think of ways that we can get ourselves out of this mess and instead of turning to God. If the problem is relational or a conflict with a spouse or a family member, We'll buy books on marriage. We'll, we'll scour the articles in magazines. We might turn the TV on to listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil. And then maybe, just maybe, we might turn to God. See, we try everything and anything we can think of. And if nothing else works, well, then maybe we'll consider praying. Friends, we have it backwards, all right? We should always go to God first. Why? Because God is a God of hope. Tis the season for hope. 
2 Timothy 1.12, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. Maybe we need persuading today. Am and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now, although Paul was directing these words to Timothy, Paul's message speaks to every servant of Christ who is facing difficult times right now. You know, those without hope. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was fully persuaded that God loved him, that he belonged to God. He was convinced of the Lord's ability to keep that which I've committed unto him in spite of the evidence of the contrary. And so Paul's counsel here is really meant for all who are buffeted by by satanic forces, who are engaged in spiritual warfare, who are enduring great hardships as good soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ. Church, the word of the Lord today for you and I is that we are to have hope because God is a God of hope. We belong to him if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 33, 16 through 22. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in what? In his unfailing love. God's love will not fail you. His unfailing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest on us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. What is the psalmist saying? That kings shouldn't have large armies? That their warriors shouldn't ride out on horses? No, not at all. He's saying that even if a king has a large, well-equipped army, that army won't guarantee you success. In other words, you better, you better be on God's side, you know, you better be on God's side. And if you're relying on technology today, you know, horses back then, the strength of a, of a horse or, or an army or whatever, you, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. You know, our hope is in you. It says in God. We wait in hope for the Lord, whose hope is in his unfailing love. And, and, the, and the word for Israel, even today or back then or, or today, is for America today as well. I turned 61 years young a month and a half ago. And I have come to the conclusion that in my short time here on planet Earth, my conclusion is this. Neither party in Washington, D.C. is going to make things better for our country. In other words, my hope is not in politics or politicians my hope is in God. Politics is simply poly meaning many and ticks meaning bloodsuckers. <laughs> you put the two together, poly, poly is many, T 
ticks as bloodsuckers. You put the two together, we have many bloodsuckers. What I'm simply saying is this. Government, although ordained by God, is not where our hope lies. Let me go a little deeper here. Your political party, who is or isn't in control, is not where your hope lies. A little deeper. Donald Trump, who is running to be, running to be the 47th president in the 2024 election of the United States, Donald Trump is not my hope for this country. He was good for America and would be, but that's not where my hope lies. See, our hope is found in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, period. In a, in a famous old hymn of the church, the writer states this, my hope is built on nothing less than than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And his righteousness is conferred on me, not by any good that I've done, because I haven't done any good. May all my goodness before him is his filthy rags. And the writer of Romans tells us that there is no one who is good, no, not one. It's all by faith, and it's because of his grace. Period. See, our hope should be in God. We put our hope in you. Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots. And some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, God delights in rescuing those who place their hope in Him. Or as the psalmist says, as I read earlier, His eyes are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them. In other words, He becomes their help. He becomes our shield. See, God is more valuable to them than ten armies. I'm not, I'm not saying you don't go to the doctor when you're sick. I'm not saying you don't go to the bank to, to get money. I'm not saying you don't see a counselor to help work out conflicts in your marriage or in your relationships. I'm simply saying, even though it's okay to do those things, our hope does not lie in those individuals or their, the, the entities. You put your hope in God. Now, God may use a doctor. He may use a banker or a counselor, but your hope is in God, not in them. In other words, you don't trust the doctor to take care of you. As my doctor told me, and I've shared this with you from this pulpit before, he said, Brian, I fix no one. I only treat symptoms. Doc, you hit the nail on the head. They're just practicing medicine. You trust God, though, to take care of you through the physician. I'm not against doctors. Luke was a doctor. All right? But it's not the size of the king's army that matters. It's not the size of your wallet or the skill of your doctor or the insight of your counselor that matters. What matters most is where are you placing your trust? Where are you placing your hope? The fact is you can have no settled peace, no true hope, until you no longer waver about your acceptance in Jesus Christ. This acceptance is based not on what your flesh accuses you of being or what the devil accuses you of being. It is solely based on Christ and what Christ has done for you on the cross. See, when your situation starts to seem hopeless, just say, Lord, you know, I really don't know what to do here. Lord, I'm not sure how to handle this. But my trust, my confidence, my hope is in you. 
And Lord, I belong to you. And you are more than able to care for me and to take care of this need, this circumstance, this trial I'm going through. And so God, please show me what you'd have me do in Jesus' name. Amen. You're just sharing your heart with God. And what will happen if you do that? Now, can I guarantee that nothing bad, nothing unpleasant, nothing painful will happen? No. Can I guarantee you the outcome that you desire? No. See, our hope is not in what we hope God will do. Our hope is not in one specific result. Our hope is in God himself, for God is a God of hope. Tis the season for hope. According to Colossians 1.27, my hope rests in Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me the hope of glory. In other words, we trust Him to do what is best. And we may not, and that may not be what we expect or desire. Honestly, do you know why you and I get discouraged? Because we don't get our own way. Very simple, isn't it? I thought, welcome to Christianity. Welcome to life where bad things happen to good people. Welcome to life where it rains on the just and the unjust. So in reality, I can't guarantee that you won't go through difficult and trying times. Matter of fact, as a follower of Christ, I can guarantee you will go through difficult times and trying times and trials. And James tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You know, but what I can guarantee that in, in it all, in everything you go through, God over and over and over again will prove himself faithful. His unfailing love. That in the end, God will not disappoint you. Romans 5 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. For church, you will not regret putting your trust, your hope in the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah 49, 23 says, then you will know that I am the Lord. And then he says this, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Those who, who, those who hope in me, God says, will not be disappointed. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And then back to what I read earlier in Psalm 147, verse 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now, just a cautionary note here. This doesn't mean that God's goodness and wisdom are always immediately evident. Because sometimes in my own life, it's in looking back in retrospect that I can see how God has been caring for me. God has been providing for us. God has been protecting us. And I really think that heaven's going to be just praise and thanksgiving because God's going to pull back the curtain and said, so remember back in 19, for some of you that are older, 1943, how I protected you there. Remember how in 1965, I protected you during that time. 
And we're going to see as God pulls back the curtain. This is just my thought, all right, my theory. But God's going to pull back the curtain, and we're going to say, God, thank you for being there for all these times. God, thank you for protecting me. We have no idea how many accidents we have been saved from. We really don't. I know a few that in my stupidity in my teenage years that all my cousins can, and my mom can attest to of my, my stupidity back when. But, but guess what? Uh, God's been there all these years. And I'm thankful for that. And, and hope does not disappoint. Now sometimes when we're in the thick of things, we can't see any evidence of God, God working at all. But if we'll continue to place our hope in Him alone, to serve him, to have faith in his word, we're not going to be disappointed. Now, in tough times, God often intervenes. And when he doesn't actively intervene, we often have his presence. When we don't sense his presence, we have his promises. When we lose sight of his promises or when, we, when they don't seem to come to pass, we still have our future hope. We have a blessed hope, all right? So let me encourage you this morning. Develop an attitude of hope by reading God's Word, by meditating on the promises that the Bible talks about, the promises of God. Because the more you fill your heart and your mind with thoughts of the life to come, the less the sorrows and disappointments of this life will disturb your peace of mind. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 Another one of my favorites here is, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. In other words, we can learn from these things. We've been in Corinthians chapter 10. These things are written as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on what they set their hearts on. And I've talked about that the last five weeks. But then Paul says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that, here it is, through endurance, through endurance, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The encouragement of the scriptures will have hope. That's why Paul was able to write in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Oh, church, if we could just grab hold of the glory that awaits us. If you could just touch a small part of the glory of God, you would say, hey, there's, I know there's more. I know there's more. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. How many know that to be true? As you're getting older, birthday kids, outwardly we're wasting away. No, we're just bodies getting old. But inwardly, it's not over. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Yeah, this old man is perishing, but glory to God. God renews my spirit. God renews my heart. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day, the word says. And then Paul makes this statement. For the apostle Paul to make this blows me away. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. Pause. Paul, you've been beaten. You've been stoned. You've been left for dead. 
You've been in danger from the rivers, the bandits, and the country, and the city. I mean, Paul, you have been through it. And yet, he says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, everything you and I face on planet Earth is nothing compared to the glory that awaits us when we're with Jesus. Amen? The old hymn says it so well, it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, just passing away. I always remind us this is all going to burn someday. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What do you hear me say almost every week? Keep your eyes on eternity. Jonathan Edwards preached on eternity. And he says, he prayed this, God stamped eternity on my eyeballs. God may eternity always be before me. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but as what is unseen, that's eternal. Let me paraphrase all that with Hartman's paraphrase Bible. No such thing, but this is how I'd say it. We focus way too much on time and way too little on eternity. Say it another way. We focus way too much on the here and now instead of the then and the there. The more we focus on the blessings and glory of the life to come, the less burdensome our current problems will seem by comparison. That's what Paul's saying. You see, the problem for us isn't that we think too much of our current problems, but that we think too little of what God has in store for us. Let this word get a hold of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 11. We know this verse. Most of us do. Many of us do. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Fix our eyes on what is unseen, the eternal. Jeremiah 29, 11, God's word paraphrase says, plans to give you a future filled with hope. A future filled with hope. See, if we gave that more thought, then I believe the difficulties, the pain, the sorrows that threatens to overturn our faith by comparison would seem much smaller and less significant. And so I ask you this morning, what's the basis for your hope? What's the basis for your hope? What right do we have to place our hope in God? Well, the answer is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God whose birthday we'll celebrate in 22 days. 1 Peter chapter 1, last scripture. Turn there, please. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I want you to leave today holding your head up high and saying, man, I serve a God of hope. 
I'm a child of hope because of what God, through Christ, has done for me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us, here it is, He has given us new birth into what? A living hope. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's why Christ came. So we can have that new birth, be born again into a living hope. Tis the season for hope that we might experience the new birth into a living hope because of Christ coming to ultimately pay the price for my sin as he died in that cross for your sin and the sins of the world. All because of his his resurrection. You see, for a true child of God, hope does spring eternal. His mercies, the Bible says, are new every morning. Every morning. And here's Peter saying, hey, Praise God, for in his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope. And that living hope, that inheritance he has planned for you, never going to perish, never going to spoil, never going to fade. In other words, it's a surety, it's a reality. And that is the word of the Lord for us today. My question is this, do you know him? Have you experienced the new birth? Are you born again? Because if you haven't experienced the new birth, if you're not born again, you you are not experiencing the hope that can be yours. The hope. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's all stand to our feet, close in prayer. Do you know him? Have you placed your trust in him and in him alone? Are you trusting in Christ right now? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you on this first Sunday of Advent for the hope that is ours because of Jesus. Because of your great mercy. God, our hope is in your unfilling love. Our hope is in you. And Lord, today as we conclude this this time of looking at your word, I just pray, Father God, that I pray you've been speaking to hearts here today. And for those that do not have a love relationship with you, then today is their day to repent of their sin and to get right with you. And so this morning, God's been speaking to your heart. God's been pulling at your heartstrings. Do you have this living hope? Are you born again? Do you know that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven and not to hell? Plain and simple. See, the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ came to take our place on the cross, to die on our behalf, to die for our sins. The one who knew no sin becoming sin for us, becoming sin for you. And if you've never, ever asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, then today is your day of salvation. I'm holding steady for a moment. 
if God's speaking to your heart right where you're standing and you need forgiveness in your life, you need to acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, then today God's been drawing you and speaking to your heart. Put your hands to Pastor Brian, pray with me. I need to know for sure today that if I died, I'd go to heaven, not to hell. I want to make sure my sins have been forgiven, that I'm on my way to heaven, that I have this new birth, this living hope that you've been talking about. If that describes where you're at today, just raise your hand high and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need forgiveness of sin in my life. I need to repent of my sin. Just holding steady for a moment. I do this because I, as you hear me say, I want no one pointing a finger at me someday and say, Brian, and it's not going to be Pastor Brian. It's going to be, Brian, you never told me. <laughs> you, never, you never gave me a chance. I want to make sure. I want to make sure that you have been given the opportunity to get right with God and to stay right with God. Finally, this morning is this. If you've come and you'd be honest enough to say, you know, my hope, hope for life, hope for the future, hope for whatever has been pretty low. And God's today just stirring up my heart to believe him for, for me to place my trust, my confidence in in, in him and what he's done for me and I, I really need this in my life right now and, and God's speaking to you maybe you've come in and you're without hope this morning and, and things have just been battling you from left and right and every which way but loose and God's just speaking to your heart saying keep your eyes on the unseen keep your eyes on the eternal keep your eyes on heaven keep your eyes on Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you've come today and you just, you just need prayers, you know, pray for me. I'm, I'm battling this or that. And I'm kind of without hope, to be honest. And, and I just ask God to help me in this area. If that describes where you're at right now, just put your hand up, put it back down again. I'll pray for you this week. And yes, yes, anyone else? Praying that God would restore to you the hope the hope, the joy, the peace of salvation. Father, I pray for every hand that went up. I pray for every individual that would just be honest enough of heart that would say, God, here I am today. And God, I needed to hear this. And God, I, I don't want just to be a hearer once again of your word, but God, just to put these things into action to help me to realize that, yeah, I do belong to you. I do have Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I pray, Father God, that you would just cause something within them to rise up and say, we are children, children of God, children of hope. Lord, bless their lives, God. Help them, God, to see the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning as well as, as you do. And to God, give your people, once again, hope. In a world of despair, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to leave the altars open. If you would like prayer, we'd love to pray for you, pray with you. Other than that, this Wednesday, back to our Bible study, 6 p.m., we have youth group. Wednesday night, we have something for the children and the babies as well. God bless you all. Have a great week in the Lord. Amen. God bless you.